0: Welcome. This is the Gender-Based Violence Information Management System, or the GBV-IMS, the podcast where we talk about safe, ethical, and useful GBV data management in humanitarian settings. I'm Christy Crabtree. Onward, as we move through this series focusing on each step of the case management process, we've gone through introduction and engagement, assessment, case action planning, and now we're on to making that case action plan a reality in this fourth step, Implementing the Case Action Plan. I'm joined for this episode by Erin Gerber, the MHPSS Specialist and GBV Team Lead for UNFPA in Bangladesh. Welcome, Erin.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: So in this step, you're taking action. That's really the central focus of this is action. Can you talk about the key activities for this step?
1: Sure. So, during this time in the case management process with a survivor, it's really where you focus on looking at what your discussion was together with her or him about the activities or action that she wants to take on her case and putting it in, into practice, making it happen. So, usually that involves like making referrals, accompanying the survivor to appointments or other services maybe advocating to make sure that those services she receives are of a good standard or the right quality. And sometimes that involves providing direct services yourself, like around psychosocial support, kind of listening and and supporting that survivor.
0: So what is really crucial to get right about the referral process
1: in this step? For me, it's really first and foremost about consent. So making sure that when you're making any referrals to the survivor, that you're very clear about what she has said that she wanted, what service she wants, where she wants to be referred, where she wants to go, when she wants to go, that any engagement with a service provider that she wants to be referred to is happening in the way that that she wants it to happen. And another key aspect that's really important is accompaniment. So for, for making referrals, you have to make sure that you have consent and you're thinking about accompaniment. So does that survivor want you to go with her? Does she want you to wait outside? Does she want you to be in the room with her? Um, how exactly does she want that referral to go?
0: What are some of the, the benefits to the accompaniment process or some of the downsides as well?
1: The main benefit is really being able to, to do what she wants and to be there if, if that's what she wants, making sure that she's not alone in that. Um, right. And I think that's really important because so often the nature of the violence that a survivor is experiencing is, is really one that makes her feel alone in it. And so she's reaching out to feel supported and to feel understood. And so being able to accompany her Physically go with her to spaces, but also just to be really present with her in that space and in that situation. I think can be really healing. So that's important. One of the consequences that can obviously be mitigated, but could be an unintended consequence, is her being seen with a service provider that might be known for providing services to women and girls who've experienced violence. So that's something that that would have to. Be thought about and planned for. Also, there's sometimes a danger where caseworkers can get really eager and really passionate and really into that that case and that situation for a survivor where they could get a bit carried away and lose lose sense a bit of the survivor's decision-making in that process. Um, So sometimes just sort of stepping a little bit too far ahead of her um, and, and unintentionally making decisions without stepping back and making sure that she's completely engaged in, in that whole process.
0: Right. It's really about somebody understanding, you know, having, having a full picture of the information needed to make that decision, and and that being, if you need to, a discussion about the risks and benefits of that, right? It would be great to go to the health clinic, for example, with somebody who supports me. I know that absolutely, and it also would be awful if everybody knew that that person was a GBV caseworker and now it's kind of outing me to my community. So having that full range of information or, or what it means to go to the police, you know, in some settings, there might be like a focal point who's used to working with uh, survivors and it's, you know, a more positive process. And other times referrals could be something that uh, people aren't feeling supported on. So giving someone that full scope of information there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's there's general benefits and consequences of making referrals, and that's so important to explain that to a survivor before you would make a referral and before you would go with her and accompany her to services. So, what about
0: case coordination? This is really coordinating care for an individual survivor. Why is this important, and what's important to get right about case coordination?
1: Yeah, case coordination is important for making sure that, as best as possible, that the whole process of receiving services is is smooth for the survivor and that it is happening in a way that is not going to cause more harm to the survivor. Um, So once again, I think what's really important to get right when you're coordinating uh, on a a case, a survivor's case, is, is consent. So if you're having to pull together a bunch of different service providers for a case conference, then you need to make sure that you have consent from her to, to be able to come together with her different service providers and, and have different discussions. But really the the goal of case coordination is to eliminate any, any barriers or obstacles that may be in the way of her accessing services in the way that she needs and wants.
0: When it comes to case coordination, what do you see that can go wrong?
1: Sometimes... When there's different agencies involved, they can become a bit territorial. It's not, I guess, unreasonable for that to happen because it's a multisectoral response, right? And so each sector kind of knows their role and they see their value in that. And it can be really difficult for different service providers to not see their service as being a greater priority over another service. And sometimes there's just a lack of understanding among service providers around each and individual's role and responsibility. So it's, it can get a little bit tricky in just pulling back and making sure that everybody's on the same page about our intention for making sure that this person gets the care that she needs and that we're capable of giving and making sure that we're clear about the value, value that each service brings and exactly what they do and how they do it and so oftentimes plans need to be adjusted to make sure that those things are are being done well
0: so we've been talking a lot about in this implementation step about external activities so making referrals or doing case coordination all those things are outside or are outward facing what about direct support Outside of referrals and coordination with others, you're also providing direct support to survivors. So what might this include for a caseworker?
1: Uh, oh, it's listening to her, it's validating what's happened to her, comforting her, it's reassuring her that she's done the right thing by coming and talking about her experience and asking for help. And it's a fantastic opportunity to, to remind her it's not her fault. Um and how strong she is, and that she can heal, um, and that you believe them and you're there to support them. So that's that emotional support is essential, um, and I think also just having that opportunity to, to connect them with other opportunities that might be available within your own program. Um, oftentimes, psychosocial support programs might have group activities or some small kind of livelihoods or income-generating activity within their spaces. So being able to connect women with other women and expand that social network and being able to talk through with them any concerns they have about going home, being in the community. It's not unusual for survivors to, to feel a lot of guilt or shame about what they've experienced, even though it's not their fault. So of looking at how this incident has affected them in their day-to-day life and what the best ways are to be able to work with each individual survivor through their own experience and what they may need to heal to be able to, to resume some of those daily living activities and keep them thinking about the future in a hopeful way. For me, safety is, is the, the most essential thing Whether you're establishing that safety plan, you know, before you're talking about referrals or not, certainly, like, after you have accompanied a survivor to a service point, whenever she's going to leave you to head back home or wherever she's going from there, you're going to want to review that safety plan or create it if you haven't already. Safety, (laughs) Safety is something that I think needs to be talked about before you would even leave that space to go to go to a a service point, you may need to talk about uh, a safety plan just accompanying her to health services. Um, But certainly if she's going to be heading home and she lives with the perpetrator or the perpetrator is a neighbor um, or she experienced violence on that same road that she's had to take to come to you, then you would want to talk about a safety plan, how she's she's going to feel physically safe, but then also around her emotional safety.
0: In your experience in the various positions you've had in different countries, if you were going to give one lasting piece of advice to people on this step on implementing the case action plan, what would be that one piece of advice, either based on what you see as the most common um, opportunity for improvement or something that you see is often missed? What would be your, your lasting advice there?
1: I think I just cannot emphasize enough how important it is to make sure that every step of the way, but especially when you're implementing that action plan, that the survivor is in complete control, that she is able to decide uh, when she will go for services, where she will go for services, and that you have her, her full informed consent so that she's receiving all the information possible, all those benefits, all those consequences. Um, but if you're accompanying her while you're there in the moment, um, just constantly remembering that it's it's the survivor that has to be able to be making those choices all along the way. So even if she's choosing for you to speak up for her, that it's very intentional. That it's her. That's her choice. So I think that we have such a, a unique and Really exceptional opportunity as caseworkers and facilitating this case management process to to give something to survivors that oftentimes in the places where we're working they don't get, which is that validation that that what has happened to them is is unique to them and is really tough, um, but that first and foremost they're survivors, so no one ever chooses to experience violence, right? Like, no one chooses to have to go out at night or um, to be beaten by anyone in their home or to be kept inside their home. Nobody nobody sets out to experience violence, and and often survivors aren't choosing the way that they react. So, so much around what they're experiencing was not their choice. So being in a position to, to facilitate choice for survivors is is one of the most powerful things I think that we can offer and we can provide for me and certainly for other caseworkers that I'm working with. That's something that always stands out to me. Like we put so much pressure on ourselves and we, in the whole aspect of pro- providing direct services, and, and we're like, oh, we need to provide counseling, and we we need the, this like magic trick for being able to help her feel better. Right. But I think we underestimate how much just being present with her and allowing her to make choices, how huge that is is—and believing her and supporting her. You may be the the first person and the only person in her life that does that for her, and that's huge.
0: I love how you summed that up, Erin, facilitating choice. I think that's really what this step is all about. This is an action step, so making referrals, acting as an advocate for the survivor, coordinating on care, and providing services yourself. This is the implementation step, but giving back control to the survivor in decisions is a bigger part of their recovery process. Um, As Erin mentioned, this is about facilitating their choice, giving them the information and helping them and supporting them in taking control. So you can read more about this step and all the others by visiting gbvims.com and searching for the interagency case management guidelines on the resource page. Thanks so much for joining us, Erin.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: And thanks for listening. As always, be responsible with your data and learn more at gbvims.com.